All right, ladies, it's good to see you guys tonight. I am excited to talk to you about what God has been talking to me about. And tonight I get the opportunity to talk to you about faith. And specifically, two very simple three-letter words in Scripture that are super easy to skip. The words are yet and but. Over the last few months or years, depending on how long you've been around, you know um, that I have been asked quite often, how are you? Because life circumstances have so changed over the last three or four years. And that is one of the absolute hardest questions to answer. And as soon as it's asked, I am forced to reckon with going like, really, how are you, seriously? And in general, it's a loaded question, but lately it has been super difficult to decipher or, or conjure up any support at all. My emotions, and maybe it's not just mine, are absolutely all over the place. I feel everything. I feel fragile and furious and foggy and weak and excited and elated and exhausted and angry and sick and alone, and I feel like I'm too much, and I feel like I'm never going to be enough. But despite all of those feelings, I know scripture to be more true than anything that I feel, so I run to it, I race to it, because it is the goodness, it's the gooey goodness of God in his word, and it's trustworthy, and it has the power to change absolutely everything. Sometimes, though, when I sit with scripture, there are words that are super easy to forget. Small words, unassuming words, simple three-letter words, like yet and but. But not yet and buts, because I found out very sadly, this is my disclaimer, don't go looking for it, because it is an actual phenomenon where ample-bottomed sorority girls plop their bottoms on Yeti coolers and have their friends take pictures of them from behind and post them. So I don't suggest that. Don't go looking for it, but I'm sorry, I digress. It's a thing. I digress. Forgive me for that. That's not what we're talking about tonight. We're not talking about Yeti butts. We're talking about yet and butts. I know, it's going to take us a minute. I know, trust me. There is a lot of life in those three simple words. And today we're going to go to scripture and examine it and sit in it and dwell in it and just let it rest on us so that we can see what God has to say about faith when we see these small words like yet and but. So we're going to turn to Psalms 22 verses 1 through 3 and 6 through 9. And they should appear on the screen, I think. The verses that we're going to hone in appear on the screen. The other ones, if you have a, your, an app or a Bible, go ahead and turn to Psalms 22. And we're going to sit with them and just let them wash over us. Psalms 22 verse 1 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night. I find no rest. Verse 3. Yet, 
You are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one that Israel praises. Verses 6 through 8. But I am a worm. I am a man scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults. They shake their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Verse 9. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. When we look at verses 22, verses 1 and 2, and 6 through 8, what does it tell us? Like, what's really happening with David? How is he really doing? David admits feeling forsaken. He admits feeling anguish and crying out and being exhausted. Maybe for you, it's feeling health issues and sifting those out. Maybe you're wrestling through grief and loss. Maybe there's financial difficulty or loss of employment, perhaps stress or anxiety or depression, relational difficulty, heartbreak. Do you know what that's like? I do. Have you been calling out to God and asking him to answer questions about how long you'll endure things when will this difficulty end? When will it be eradicated? When will your load lighten? I have. Do you feel unheard or unsupported? Feel alone or abandoned? I have. But when we look closely at verse 3, in spite of all of those things, what does David conclude? Yet, you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. David says, God, you are holy, and you are worthy to be praised. Ladies, what kind of sorcery is this? How does David look into his existence, in his actual circumstances, and yet conclude, in spite of what he's experiencing, that God is good? David says, God, you are holy, and you are worthy of praise. He is able to use a yet kind of faith and arrive at a place of remembering who God is to give praises to his name and the truth about how awesome God is in our lives. David is able to arrive at that. In verses 6 through 8, David refers to himself as a worm. He says he is scorned by everyone. He is dramatic. So is it really true? Maybe so. But it's likely the thing that he's experiencing. He says he experiences verbal abuse, spiritual abuse, and mocking. But when we look at verse 9, David is able to say that he trusts in God. That God is the one who is the giver of life and has sustained him from his mother's womb. He provides nourishment. David's circumstances are real and difficult, just like ours. And in spite of that, yet in spite of that, David, David is able to arrive at a place that he can see God as worthy and trust in him in spite of his circumstances. Now we're going to look at Psalms 31, verses 9 through 14. 
the first set of verses, 9 through 13, said, Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak because of all my enemies. I am the utter contempt of my neighbors and an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who see me flee from me. I am forgotten as though I was dead. I have become like broken pottery, for I hear many whispering terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. Verse 14, but I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. Verses 9 through 13 recall David saying that he had stress and sorrow and grief and anguish and groaning, physical frailty, utter content of everyone around him, dread. Have you experienced any of those things? I have. David experiences feeling forgotten, feeling broken, discarded, terror on every side, like people are out to get him. Have you experienced any of those things? I have. Despite what David experiences, what does he conclude in verse 14? But I trust in you, Lord. I say you are my God. David is able to see his circumstances, acknowledge them as true. So we're not pretending that all is well. We're not acting as though our lives are peachy. He's able to see them as true and still offer trust in God. A God whose holiness and therefore his goodness does not change per our circumstances, nor can they ever be false. So when we look at scripture, Psalms 22 or Psalms 31, we get to experience real life, real time things that people are going through. Things that you're going through and I'm going through. We see them as true and we have the opportunity to arrive at a place where yet or but changes our perspective about what we do with the truth of our circumstances in light of the goodness of a God who does not change. Does that make sense? So what I want you guys to do at your tables, and those spaces on your paper are really for your own reflection about the verses and how they speak to you, okay? So what I want you to do at your table for about eight minutes is to look pretty closely at Psalm 73, verses 21 through 23, and Psalm 73, verse 25 and 26. And read those verses in a way that I read them from here to all of us and discuss at your table. What is the importance of the yet or the but in these verses? What is God revealing about, he, about how he is and how he wants us to think differently about ourselves, our circumstances, and him? So we'll come back in just seven minutes. Discuss it at your table. Very true. And we talked at our table similarly about it being a transition, acknowledgement to a place of difference. And so one of the things that happens when we arrive at these places 
the faith that kind that affords us abundance and allows joy in all circumstances, and in suffering, the kind of faith that I want and you want and David expresses, it exists in situations where yet and but kind of faith is a reality. And doubt the kind that saturates women who are hurting from broken promises, who thought that there might be some happily ever after, the kind that tanks dreams and leaves you bare and has you question things, that kind of doubt that reels through you, it requires a yet and a but kind of faith and surrender. Doubt, the kind that shatters your hope and future plans, the kind where tears stain much more than your face and grief wears on you like a blanket, and the stench of uncertainty makes you question trust or love and if that's possible or real, the kind that leaves you foggy or furious and unrecognizable even to yourself, that is the kind of doubt that requires a yet and a but kind of faith. Faith, the kind that is evident in all circumstances and brings comfort to deep loss, the kind that reminds you that suffering endures for a night when joy comes in the morning, the kind of faith that I want and you want, that kind of faith requires our trust and a God who can do all things. So y'all, here's the thing. David's circumstances didn't change in his transition from needing the predicament he was in and acknowledging who God was. It did not change. Similarly, what I walked in with is waiting for me as soon as I hit those doors. And likewise, what you walked in with is likely waiting for you exactly when you leave these doors as well. Our circumstances may not change, but we can, and our perspectives can. So here's the prayer of my heart. When we arrive at a place of doubt and hard and difficulty in what seems impossible, places that foster anxiety or being overwhelmed, where we overthink and spiral in our thoughts and are hyper-attentive to details, all of the details spinning around, let that hyper-focus fall on three simple, three-letter, unassuming words, like yet and doubt. So they become an anthem, a way for us to live and to trust the riches of the gospel and the hope that is in our Creator, the way that Jesus proclaims in Mark 14, 26. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me all of those circumstances that are so difficult. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Hey guys, I'm Meredith. I know a lot of you, but a lot I don't. Um, we are gonna send the second part of our, ooh, it gets a little higher, that's it. I ordered glasses like three weeks ago, guys, and they were supposed to be here a week ago, and they're still not here, so. If I see you out somewhere, oh, this is a great time, let me give a little disclaimer. If I see you out somewhere and I don't recognize you, it's probably because I can't see you, okay? Get closer, I will want to hug you. <laughs> um, we're gonna spend the rest of our time, the second part of our time together tonight, um, thinking about what it's like to live in this yet and but kind of faith that Donna shared with us tonight. Um, we have um, 
human senses. We're going to talk about this first. So let's talk about three in particular. We have our sense of touch, sight, and sound. These three senses, more than the other two, but mostly sight, help our brains the most out of all five to write the experiences that we have into memories that we can recall later of that experience. So, um, let's start this out here. The dim light. Okay, there we go. Um, so some of the experiences that we have in our lives leave behind some type of natural tether that um, will connect the experience and then the memory that we have about that experience later. So a good example of that would be maybe like a photograph or um, perhaps a movie ticket stub or a song that like takes you back to high school whenever you hear it. And like, by and large, those are gonna be good memories for most people. They might have some bittersweet stuff attached to them, but by and large, those are good memories. And then sometimes, we create unhealthy tethers for ourselves between our experiences and then the memory of that experience later. For me, because I am, I love this thing, this guy. I'm actually really proud of this, Loki. I'm nothing if not an emo 90s kid. So, for me, <laughs> This would be the breakup playlist. <laughs> the one that you keep like when you're feeling sad to make you feel a little bit sadder and like let the tears come, whatever. So it can be kind of cathartic for a while, but then ultimately, for me, I know, it tends to end up being not quite such a healthy thing to keep around because then you just kind of wallow in it a little bit. It kind of becomes an, an idol for me. It does not ever point you back to truth about who God is and who he says that I am. So it's better to just kind of go with it. Um, in our battle against doubt, not just against doubt, but also for deeper faith, we're going to look tonight at how we might take every thought captive and make it as obedient as unto Christ, um, just like Paul describes doing in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. So we're going to do that by learning about what it means to set up a stone of remembrance of God's faithfulness to us in our lives. Um, I have a little disclaimer that I want to give here. In sharing that verse about taking our thoughts captive, um, and before we go into like further deeper depths of some application and act like actionable things that will really sound like a to-do list if I don't let the Lord help me choose my words really carefully. Um, I want to say this: our brains also create connections for us between our bad experiences and our memories. Um, those connections are intended to be self-protective and keep us from danger in the future, um, but they really can create a whole different kind of battle in our minds. So, I want to be really clear, what I'm not saying tonight is that if you have experienced trauma or grief or anxiety or depression, we are not saying, I'm not saying, that you are experiencing those things because you have not muscled your way or mind over mattered your way out of them, and that's why you're in them. That's not what I'm saying. So, tonight when you're hearing all of these ideas and solutions, remember that you are seen by God in your struggle, and he is looking at you with compassion and tenderness, and so am I. Um, so, pick up, feel free to pick up what's helpful for you, but leave it if it's not, okay? Um, so, for all of us tonight, though, this is going to be a little invitation to invite God into all of that with us to get the goodness of God into our line of vision so that we can't forget his faithfulness to us. Um, so the Lord worked out, worked it out really well that last week Sarah segued us perfectly into where I wanted to pick up in the story of the Israelites. 
So um, I'm gonna invite you all back into that story with us. Um, so she talked about, we're gonna go forward like a number of years to Joshua chapter three. Sarah talked last week about all that the Israelites had to experience, all that they had to trust God with, all they didn't do such a great job trusting God with when they're like wandering around in the desert for four years. So we're at the end of that now. We're fast forwarding to um, the part where God is about to do another wild miracle to deliver on this big promise that he made to them. So we are, um, we're in Joshua. Moses has died. Um, the Israelites um, have been informed through God, but from God through their new leader, Joshua, that he is, it's time to get ready. They are getting ready to go into the promised land. This is the thing that they've been waiting for. Like, this is it. This is huge. This is why we're here. So this is the promise that's been handed down to them for a couple of generations now. I mean, I would imagine in 40 years, and they married pretty young, that we probably have multiple generations of people waiting to enter the promised land. So at the beginning of Joshua 3, Israeli officials are walking through this camp that they have set up on the east bank of the Jordan River, and we're about to head into the Promised Land, which is on the west bank of the Jordan River. So Joshua chapter three, is that on the screen? I think I have it first. All right, chapter three, verses two through four, says after three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God carried by the Levitical priests, you are to break camp and follow it. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between yourselves and the Ark. Don't go near it so that you can see the way to go, for you have not traveled this way before. Later in verse 5, we see Joshua telling the Israelites what they need to do to get ready for this. The Ark of the Covenant represents the presence of God among these people. They were given the Ark about a year after they left Egypt, and it travels with them as the symbol of his presence. So he's saying you need to consecrate yourselves, go through all of those um, ritual cleansing things that we see in Levitical law, prepare yourselves to be in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant tomorrow. But don't get too close. You need to be a thousand yards away from it, just like 3,000 feet. So you need to be close, but like not too close. So we're preparing ourselves for that. This shows obedient faith. They have been told what's happening, told what's about to come, and we're preparing for that. Um, skipping ahead down to the last verses of chapter three, um, Joshua 3, 15 through 16 and 17. Now the Jordan overflows its banks throughout the harvest season, but as soon as the priests carrying the ark reached the Jordan, their feet touched the water at its edge, and the water flowing downstream stood still. The priests carrying the ark of the, of the Lord's covenant stood firmly on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all of Israel crossed on dry ground until the entire nation had finished crossing the Jordan. So we don't have enough time to stay here tonight and to talk about all the symbolism and the really rich history of what's happening right here, but I want to point out a couple important things, but before that I want to make sure we understand conceptually what's happening. So on your handout, I forgot to up, but on your handout, if you flip it over to the back, you have a little map. So if you see kind of right down the middle is the Jordan River, I think it's labeled where it says crossing site or crossing point. Thank you. So, um, down there where it says baptismal site, fun side note, that's where Jesus was baptized many years later. But we're looking at that crossing site. So they had been camped over here in this area to the right called Shittim. I looked at the pronunciation, that's how it said. Um, so 
We have been camping down here. They have already been instructed to move a little bit closer to prepare to cross over. So they've moved over down here towards the east bank of the Jordan River. They've been there for three days. So all these officers have gone through camp and they said, get ready. As soon as you see the priest carrying the ark, it's time to go. Grab your camp, grab your stuff, we gotta get out of Dodge. So that's what you're looking for. Be ready to follow them. So that's what they're watching for. And they have seen the priest walk by with the ark. Everyone is getting mobilized, and we're headed down to the bank. It's harvest season, and during harvest season, the Jordan River overflows. If you think of a river, we don't have beaches at the edge of a river. We have a bank. You drop off into rushing water. So the water has overflowed, however, so we do have a little bit of a beach-like effect. So the priests are going to walk down to the edge of that bank. And the passage says that as soon as the priests feet touched the water, the river stopped flowing. Then they take the ark, they move out to the middle, and that's where they stay, while all of the Israelites are crossing over on dry ground, okay? So that's what's happening here. There's two really important things that I want to mention from this event. Number one, the officer said, make sure you can see the ark and keep your eyes on it because you haven't been this way before. You have not gone this way before. You're traveling in unknown territory. The promise that the Israelites are anticipating being fulfilled was old, but the, the actual fulfillment of that promise was new territory for everybody. This is what everybody was going to be waiting for. Um, the second thing is, in verse 17, the priests that were carrying the ark had to step into the water to stop it. I love that this, I think, I think this is God, why God wants us to hear this story tonight, guys. I think this is such a powerful recall of the exodus from Egypt. When we see that they had to, I don't know how, it, it was awesome, you guys, that they had to cross the body of water to get out of Egypt and then into the promised land. That parallel never connected for me. But we had, they had to escape through the Red Sea that Moses parted with his staff. So Moses was instructed to raise his staff and part the water so they could cross on dry land. But here we see God tell the priests to walk to the water and to put their foot in, and then the water will stop flowing. And that's exactly what happened. The presence of God was with them at this point, present with them in their midst. So when, that, when their foot touches, touches that water, following his command, and the water stops flowing, I think that the power of that moment reveals to us that God is asking us to have a cumulative faith, a faith that gets bigger as we see him provide for us, as we see him prove faithful, as we see him be who he says he that he is. And so that's what he says to the Israelites here. He has them put their foot in that water stop the river from flowing, whereas before they got to walk across on dry ground. And I think that here we are seeing God say, you, you just need to have a little bit more faith this time. You've wandered in the desert. You saw me bring manna. You saw me bring water from a rock. You saw me provide for you over and over and over again. Don't forget that. Step in. Step in now. The other thing here, we see that he is making a way. There is no perceivable way, just as he did before. We remember from just before this, they've been sitting spies in Jericho. They're not sure about the safety on the other side of the river. They don't know what's waiting for them. 
There's plenty of reason to fear. There's plenty of reason to doubt. But he says, have faith. Look at what I've done and move forward anyway. Faith in God, fear of God, were the purpose of all of that time that they spent wandering in the desert while the Lord proved his faithfulness to them over and over and over. And so now here they are in the promised land. They cross over. They are on the other side. The priests with the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God among them, stays in the middle of the Jordan until everyone has crossed and the, the ground is still dry. Before that water rushes in, God instructs them to do one more thing to remember what he did there at that site that day. He says to set up a remembrance of his faithfulness that was seen in that place. In Joshua chapter 4 it says, After the entire nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua and said, Choose twelve men from the people, one man for each tribe, and command them. Take twelve stones from this place in the middle of the Jordan where the priests are standing. Carry them with you and set them down at the place where you will spend the night. So they do. They get twelve stones from the middle um, of the Jordan, still dry by the way, from the middle of the Jordan and take them to their camp and set up an altar of remembrance to the miracle that got them there into the fulfillment of his promise. Joshua 4, 6-7 says, So that this will be a sign among you in the future when your children ask you, what do these stones mean to you? You should tell them. The water in the Jordan was cut off in front of the Ark of the Lord's Covenant. When it crossed the Jordan, the Jordan's water was cut off. Therefore, these stones will always be a memorial for the Israelites. For us, remembering the faithfulness of God in our lives is multifunctional in our walk of faith for a lot of different reasons. If we remember his provision, then it helps us trust him in times of need, or maybe even makes us more willing and equipped to be a tangible need met for someone else. Um, if we remember his comfort when we are hurting, that helps us face our next trial, counting on his peace, going into the trial. Conceptually, we're talking about the same idea as like, if you decide you want to remember to take your multivitamin every day, you set it in your bathroom or wherever you're going to see it every single day so that you don't forget to take it. Same thing. Just as God instructed the Israelites to do, we can create a reminder for ourselves to get the goodness of God in our own vision, to center his faithfulness so that we will not forget how he's moved on our behalf. Um, Dawn and I are going to share with you a couple of different examples of what this looks like for us practically. So how do we remember the ways he has moved on our behalf? So as we teased this out a little bit and looked at faith and what it does and how it how it plays out in our lives, one of the things for me is to remember how he sees me. And I have a tendency to be hyper negative about how God must see me, relating other voices and how they have seen me. So just lately, I was explaining to a friend that I've come up with a phrase that just simply asserts something kind as a way to start the day. So the phrase, hey love, it doesn't assume anything. It's not saying beautiful on a day that I feel, ooh, this is not beautiful. It's not suggesting that there's something great at the other end of that moment. It's just asserting that I am loved. And there are days that I just need to hear that. So whenever I start the negative Nancy kind of phrasing, like, oh my gosh, you're so stupid. I can't believe you 
filled in, and I pause really hard and say, hey, love, just be kind to you in the way that I would speak to a friend or would want God to speak to me. So I am a little bit of a planner, and um, I'm going to give you guys two quick examples. One of them is um, an example of how I remember something I would be prone to forget, and then also how I remember something I will never forget, but I don't want to forget the details of. Um, so one of those things is about five-ish years ago, so almost six years ago now, I was um, travel nursing, I was in Kansas City, and I was at the point, I was um, had been travel nursing for about two years at that point, and I was trying to decide if I wanted to go to grad school, and I think at this point, I was trying to remember the details of this, I think at this point I had already submitted a couple of applications, um, or I was preparing to submit, I had kind of landed on something, was preparing to submit some applications for grad school, and I was trying to decide between an administrative track, education, clinical kind of things, and just all these decisions. Um, so I was at a conference, and I won't bore you with all those details, but it was like a very intimate thing, and it was with a program I was connected with back at home. So to show up in their space in Kansas, not Kansas City, Missouri, the retreat itself was in Kansas, right down the road from the Wizard of Oz Museum, that's a thing, you should go. It's in the middle of nowhere. Maybe take a friend, you know. But, so, I was there very intimate thing, it was like maybe 10 or 11 people at this one day little conference thing. So I show up and they're like, we're so glad to have you, but why are you here, kind of, kind of deal. So people I don't know. We have a little brunch that morning, I'm standing at the corner of a, um, like a eight foot table with one of the little like, I think it was a shaped waffle maker, waiting for this lady to finish her waffle so I can make my waffle. And she just looked right at me. I don't know her name. I've never met her before. She's, it's not like we've been getting to know each other all morning, but she just looked right at me and she said, I don't know why, but I'm just supposed to tell you, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. And from that point forward, literally all the pieces fell into place perfectly, lined up for me to get a teaching job. Everything came together for grad school. I just put my nose down and went with it and went through the open doors and there we are. So, waffles for me. Every single time I see or think of a waffle, I remember that, that moment of faithfulness, the way he spoke into that doubt and uncertainty for me, and I always think of it. I really, if you guys have seen my water bottle, I'm one of those like sticker people, and I really need to get a waffle sticker for my water bottle so I can kind of put it a little bit more in front of my face. The other thing is remembering the details of a time or something where it's so clear that God moved on my behalf and I don't want to forget the details. I'm not going to go into those details, but there was a season about um, about a year ago, um, part of my testimony that you guys got to hear back in February if you were here, but it was a little subset of that time where the Lord was really calling me out of a lot of darkness. And in this one particular weekend, just supernaturally sent so many encouragements and signs and affirmations to me that I was taking the right steps, that he had me, that he saw me, and it was just a lot, I mean, it was a lot of things. It was like 10 or 11 very specific things in a matter of like 96 hours, it's very exhausting, but overwhelming in a good way. And so something that was really important to me was not overlooking the details of how all of the, that came together over those few days, where he was giving me, we were just talking, we were just in such good communication, and 
Um, he was confirming so many things for me and setting me free from so much. So I took the time to write all of that down. I'll never forget that time of my life and what he did. But now I'll never forget those tiny little details of how this person got out of this meeting to be at the same coffee shop I was in at that moment and all of these things came together. All those really important details of how he moved on my behalf to set me free from a really, really dark time in my life. Um, so we're gonna wrap it up here and go back out to tables. We have a little activity to do together. I wanna ask you guys just a few questions to get you thinking about a time in your life um, recently, far history, big, small, whatever it may be, where the Lord moved on your behalf and how we can figure out a way to get that in your line of vision where you're reminded of his faithfulness on a regular basis. Um, I'm going to ask just a few questions you have from there on the back of your sheet, but just for you guys to think about as we do this. How has God provided for my physical needs? How has he helped me break generational curses? How has he preserved or sustained my health? And I'm sure even in a room with this many people, how maybe has he even spared my life? Um, what sin or stronghold has he delivered me from? What relationships has he gifted me? Where has he done miraculous healing? Where has he given hope, joy, peace, where it made no sense to have those things? So maybe you've, maybe you've already thought of something, maybe you are not so sure and you want to spend a little time with it, that's fine. Um, Crystal has a song or two that we're going to listen to and we have these rocks here on the stage. So if tonight you would literally like to make a stone of remembrance to a time of God's faithfulness, we have the supplies to do that. You can take a rock and a paint marker right here. Um, and obviously the idea is to get them home with you so that you can see them, but I want to bring them all back up here together. We're going to create an altar and we're going to pray over them. Um, and then you guys can take them with you tonight when you go. If you don't want to do that, that's okay. If you want to just spend some time reflecting, we left a little space on your note page if you want to reflect on something or in your journal. Um, or even any other creative way you can think. But I really want to challenge you guys this week to find a way to get that in your line of vision. Find the goodness of God. Get it in front of your face so you can't forget. And let that push you into the next big step of faith that he'll ask you to take. All right? So come and get a rock if you want one. <laughs>